There we go. Please turn in your Bibles to Psalm 42. Um, we finished up our study through Zechariah before I left on my sabbatical. Um, I'm excited that our, our next sermon series is going to be through the book of 1 Peter. I spent a lot of time in 1 Peter the last several weeks. So um, hopefully this week I'll figure out the timing of that. It'll probably be within the next two or three weeks we'll start that series through 1 Peter, just so you're aware, and if you want to be reading ahead. But today I want us to consider, consider Psalm 42 and 43. And I say that because Psalm 42 and 43 originally were almost certainly one psalm. And there's, there's several reasons for drawing that conclusion, several pieces of evidence. Most notably, there's a repeated ref, refrain throughout Psalm 42. It's said uh, twice in verses 5 and 11. And then it, the, the same thing verbatim is said again in verse 5 of Psalm 43. So it's like this ongoing refrain that says, why are you downcast, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. So the fact that that appears in 42 and in 43 just shows how, how this ties together. This was one unit originally. Another piece of evidence is that Psalm 43 lacks a title. Although, even though it occurs in a section of the Psalter here where most, almost every psalm has a title. And you say, well, what do you mean by title, right? Well, like in 42, the title is, To the Choir Master, A Maskill of the Sons of Korah, right? Most of the psalms in this section of, of the book of psalms have a title like that, but Psalm 43 doesn't. And again, the reason probably is because originally it was part of Psalm 42. And it's... No surprise then, and this would also be another piece of evidence for us today, that many ancient Hebrew manuscripts have them uh, together joined as one unit. So we don't know why or when the psalm was divided into two parts, but we're going to treat them together today, all, all that to say that, okay? So our text today is Psalm 42 and 43. You're getting like a two for one today, huh? How about that? So... I'd ask the congregation to please stand for the reading of God's word. Let's hear the word of the Lord together now. Psalm 42. To the choir master, a maskil of the sons of Korah. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, 
from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust man, deliver me. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. Thanks be to God for His word. Please be seated. What should we do when we are discouraged or despairing? As Christians battling the world, the flesh, and the devil, it is not uncommon for us to face discouragement, even to face times of deep despair. That's not a wrong thing if that happens to you, okay? Now, what you do with it could be right or wrong. Psalm 42 and 43 provide a good model of what to do in those situations, in those situations of discouragement, in those situations of deep despair. What do we do? Well, the psalm helps us today. What should we do, I ask again, when we are discouraged as Christians, as God's people? What should we do when we are discouraged, when we are despairing? Answer, hope in God. Hope in God. That is the charge that the psalmist you you heard repeatedly gives himself as he is in the depths of despair. Hope in God. And that is what God calls us to do, loved ones, today as well. Not only when we're discouraged or despairing, although certainly during those times, But he calls us to do that in all circumstances. Hope in God. That's the title of the sermon today. And I pray that God would work through the message to equip us to hope in God all our days. For our good and for his glory. So I want to consider Psalm 42 and 43 with you this morning under two headings. They're simple. The despair... And the decision. 
the despair and the decision. So first, let us observe the despair. Now, we don't know the exact name of the psalmist, but notice from the title, he is a son of Korah. The sons of Korah were a clan of Levites who worked in the temple. They were responsible to help facilitate the the worship music. They kept the temple gates uh, going and guarded. uh, They regulated, I should say, the temple gates. They guarded the Ark of the Covenant. So they were were involved in the, the public, congregational, corporate worship of, of the Lord there under the Old Covenant. So keep that in mind as we look at the psalmist, what, what he's despairing about. We don't know the exact situation, but we can draw some conclusions about what he was going through. Let me read the first four verses again to you. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Here's where we start to really see the despair. My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude keeping festival. You Clearly you see the psalmist is in despair. What a statement for him to say in verse 3. His tears has been his food day and night. I mean, think about that. That means he is constantly weeping. It also seems to imply he's not sleeping much and he's not eating much. He's in despair. His soul is downcast. He is in deep turmoil and despair. And again, we don't know the exact circumstances, but what we do see in verse 4 is that this despair stems from his separation from the temple of God. So whatever's happening... We can, we can deduce that he is, it involves him being separated from the temple of God. And you'll recall through our series in Zechariah how crucial and central the temple of God was to the nation of Israel. Right? I mean, we can, you know, as I was thinking about this, I was thinking about COVID, right? And how we were shut down for a while and trying to, you know, do virtual and things like that. And how much we were longing to 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 be gathered in the flesh with the body of Christ, right? And so we can, even that, we can kind of relate. But for the Israelite, it goes way deeper than that, right? The temple was so central and crucial to to their relationship with God, if you recall. The temple was the presence, it was where the presence of God dwelt among them in a special way. It was where the people of God gathered to worship the Lord, They brought their sacrifices of atonement. They brought their sacrifices of thanksgiving to the Lord. They sang praises to the Lord. They were instructed in the word of the Lord. The temple was the physical representation that God was with them. That he was their God and they were his people. And again, like I said, that's what we saw was so critical in Zechariah, right? That that because of their breaking, the Israelites breaking the covenant, they, they were judged and God had caused the Babylonians to conquer them and and destroy the temple and lead them off into exile, right? And then Zechariah was then returning and and starting to rebuild the temple and rebuilding it. 
So the temple is critically important to any, any Israelite, any member of the Old Covenant there with God. But think how much even greater, or I guess we could say, how especially it was to a son of Korah. Right? He worked in the temple. I mean, this was his, his, this was his job. This was his, his duty and his privilege was to help facilitate the worship of God in the temple. This was his calling. And again, it was his joy. He had a front row seat for the people of God gathering to worship the Lord. But something has happened that has separated the psalmist here from Jerusalem and the temple. And so the psalmist feels cut off from the people of God and and even from the presence of God. And so that's why he, he, he speaks as he does here in these verses. And look at verse 6 again of, of 42. My soul was cast down within me. Therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon and from Mount Mizar. Now we don't know the exact location, but the psalmist does give us a general idea of, his, of the region he's talking about here. He's talking beyond the Jordan to the, to the north and east, really to the north extremity of Israel, located around the Mount Hermon range of mountains. Mizar, that word Mizar means little hill. So maybe he's atop one of the, the lesser mounts that would be part of Mount Hermon. But he's on the northern end of Jerusalem, about 130 miles away from, uh, excuse me, he's on the northern end of Israel, about 130 miles away from Jerusalem. And what's interesting about that point, and again, <laughs> I don't know if you guys went there or not, but <laughs> uh, you know, anyone who's ever been there in the geography of it, what's interesting about the point, the general area that we can deduce he's talking about is it's one of the last um, points from which one can glimpse kind of glimpse around the hills and see the holy city as they're going north. It's like you're heading out of town, and this is kind of like your last chance to see Jerusalem, to see the temple. Okay? It, it's like, you know, your last glimpse before it's going to be, not be visible anymore. Before it's gone. And so... That fact has led many commentators to deduce that maybe this psalmist is one of those exiles, right? He may be, like, his, his literal world may be crumbling before him right now. He may have just witnessed Babylon conquer Jerusalem and destroy the temple and carry off the exiles, and we, we're going to see there are enemies taunting him, right? Uh, enemies that are not part of the people of God. Where's your God, right? So that tends to be what I think, is he's one of the exiles. It's also possible that uh, another theory is that, uh, because this is the region where King David crossed the Jordan when he was fleeing from his son Absalom. So perhaps the psalmist is one of the Levites that was with David and, and David's company. And, you know, that was a very traumatic thing too, right? I mean, this coup has just happened. They're, you know, they barely escape with their lives. And so, you know, either way, he's being, he, that party was being drawn away from Jerusalem and the temple. But whatever the reason for the separation, 
this psalm that's penned here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit may be the psalmist, one commentator said, the psalmist's last sigh before the temple vanished forever from his sight. If it's even still standing. So the psalmist remembers and longs for the gathered worship in the temple. That kind of puts a whole new perspective on verse 4, doesn't it? You know, when you think about it, verse... Verse 4, again, you know, when he's talking about, I remember all these times, right? I, how we would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God. Glad shouts, songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Oh, I'm remembering the good old days, he says. But that memory is like, just multiplies his misery right now. Because as he comes to grips with what he's dealing with presently, this this terrible wretched condition that he's in where he's not with the temple you know who knows if the temple's even going to still be there he's cut off from the people of God and it feels like cut off from the very presence of God and and that's what we get from this psalm by the way is yes the psalmist misses the people of God yes he misses kind of the the liturgy and you know the the just the, the, the environment and things. Yes, he misses all those things, but what he especially misses is God himself. Right? That comes through loud and clear. That's what he's in despair about, is, is God. And verses 1 and 2 is a beautiful picture of thirsting for God, and many of us probably have, in, in decades past, have sung that as a chorus, right? And it's a great, you know, it's a great uh, picture of of longing for God, but again, it puts that in some context too, right? It's like, it's like an agonizing desire. Oh God, I, I need you. I'm, I'm, I'm thirsting for you. I, I feel cut off from you, and, and my world is falling apart, and, and people are taunting me, and, and, and I, I'm, I'm longing for you. I need you desperately. As a, as a deer pants for the water. And like I've already mentioned in passing, the psalmist's misery is, is just multiplied further because his enemies, again, the ones who may be responsible for the fact that he's going through all this, they're mocking him, right? I mean, they're just pouring salt in the wound. They're just kicking him while he's down. Verse 3, my tears have been my food day and night while they say to me all the day long, where's your God? Again, in verse 10, As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? You know, you can just imagine the the Babylonians, right? I mean, you see that, by the way, in, in, um, what, probably 150 years earlier or whatever, when Assyria was attacking, right? And they're like, don't think that your God's going to deliver us. Did the gods of this nation stop us? Did the gods of this nation stop us? Right? I mean, they're taunting, you know, before they've even conquered Jerusalem. And then, of course, God, you know, gives a mighty deliverance and shows that who he is. But so, but I say all all that to say, you can imagine the Babylonians like, oh, your God's real big stuff, isn't he? He didn't protect you from us. Yes, maybe he delivered you from Egypt all those years ago, but didn't come through this time. The enemies of God are mocking the psalmist. And notice what are, specifically they're saying. 
Where is your God? They're mocking him that God has abandoned him. Is this not one of Satan's tactics even today? Right? We have an enemy of our souls, right? And Satan, he can't, <laughs> praise God, he, he can't do anything about taking away our salvation. But he certainly can try to steal the joy of our salvation, causing us to doubt, uh, doubt the character of God, doubt the promises of God, it's causing us to, or I shouldn't say causes, tempting us to, you know, focus on all the negatives and all the trials and all the things, and, and hindering us from uh, focusing on who God is and the promises, walking by faith. Where is your God? Again, just trying to understand the despair he's in. Verse 7 kind of is a good picture to summarize it. The oppression, the chaos, the despair are so great that it, it seems like it's overwhelming the psalmist. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers, all your waves have gone over me. The, the Israelites had a, had a very love-hate relationship with, with the, the sea. Right? They were not really a seafaring people. They saw the sea as, as, as chaotic. and I mean, yeah, they fished and all that, but I meant, by, by and large, they saw the sea as chaotic and destructive and, and you know, unpredictable. And in many ways, we can understand that, right? And he says, what's happening to me, the circumstances, the despair, it's like a great flood that's, it, that is, is, has gone over me, and it's just like waves that are pounding me. It's, you know, it's like I'm caught in a... In a whirlpool, a typhoon here, you know, and just, I'm going under. I'm overwhelmed. And notice verse 7, did you catch it? The psalmist knows that it's all ultimately from the Lord's hand here. Yes, there's enemies of God, but he says to God, your breakers, your waves have gone over me. God, you know, I know you're sovereign. I know you're causing this to happen, and I'm overwhelmed. The psalmist feels cut off from God. In fact, the psalmist wonders if God has completely forgotten him. Right? He's being taunted that way, but then he himself, we see, is, is wondering that himself. Verse 9, I say, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Verse 2 of, the next, of Psalm 43. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning? Because of the oppression of the enemy. So again, the, his despair is so great that he himself is lamenting to God. And this is a lament. This, is, this psalm is an example of lament. And I know David May a couple months ago preached on lament, right? From Psalm 77. The lament psalms... Are, are demonstrations of what it looks like for believers to honestly pour out their hearts to God. And, and it's, they're, they're great models for us. God knows our hearts. He knows our struggles. And, and so he wants us to be open and honest about that to him. And so the Lament Psalms are a great help. And, and I know the counseling ministry has recommended a book that, that teaches that further. And, and, and I commend that to you as well. But 
This is what it looks like for believers to honestly pour out their hearts to God, to admit their doubts, to confess their fears. Yes, even to bring their complaints to God. Now, as I say that, understand that he, the psalmist is, and we should, if, if we find ourselves in that in situation, we should do that in faith. And I see the psalmist doing that. Even the two verses I just read for you where he's saying, God, why have you rejected me? Why have you abandoned me? He's saying, my God, my rock, the God in whom I take refuge. He, and, and, and even in the whole context of, of like Psalm 43 is him exercising faith, praying to God, asking for deliverance. So he's not, I don't think we should accuse God of doing wrong, but we can bring our, what we're struggling with and our complaints to God and saying, God, I need you. And it doesn't feel like you're doing anything here. And, and, and help me to, I believe, but help my unbelief, right? Just the exercise of doing that is, is what God would want us to do. Because by doing so, that's how he draws us close and strengthens our faith. So a faith-filled lament comes humbly And honestly, before God seeking answers, not accusing God of wrong, I say again, but expressing what it feels like, what what you're going through, while asking God for help. Right? You always want to turn toward God and not away from God. Right? Even with your struggles, even with your complaints, go to God. That's an exercise of faith. A hard heart would just... Go, would just go away from God, so to speak, right? Would not turn to God and just would sulk and commiserate. So all this to say under this first heading, the psalmist here is in deep despair. And as I said in the intro, some or perhaps many listening today may be discouraged or despairing That is not uncommon. That's not wrong. Life can be hard in this fallen world. We deal with difficulties. We deal with disappointments and discouragements and painful trials. In addition, the world, the flesh, and the devil tempt us. They they try to capitalize on those difficulties and trials. They tempt us to doubt God. They tempt us to despair over life and despair over the character and promises of God and doubt Him. So what can we do? What should we do when our souls are discouraged and downcast? And that leads to our second and final heading, the decision. We've seen the despair, but we also see that the psalmist makes a decision and he makes it, it's an ongoing decision, I'll say it that way. Verse 5, verse 11, verse 5 of 43. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. Tell me, who is He talking to in those verses? In that refrain. Who is He talking to? Himself. Himself. 
I mean, there's parts where he's talking to God. I mean, other verses, like in 43, he's talking to God, right? In 42 as well. But in those verses, the key verses, the refrain, the thing that's repeated, the thing that sticks out to us, he's talking to himself. Why are you cast down, O my soul? (laughs) Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. He's preaching to himself. He's making a, by God's grace, he's making a faith-filled decision. He's exercising his faith in who God is and what God has promised and what God has done for him in salvation. Many of you have probably heard the name Martin Lloyd-Jones, a Welsh um, pastor and preacher of the 20th century. Uh, Many of you probably heard him called Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, right? Because he was a physician before he was a a pastor and preacher. I say that to say, you know, he was, in in that sense, probably uniquely qualified, and God led him to write a book called Spiritual Depression where he's talking about, you know, the depression of the soul, but, you know, we're, we're body and soul, right? And he would understand that. I want to share with you a couple of quotes from that book. That where, in the book, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones is commenting on this psalm. He's commenting on what the psalmist here is doing, the decision he's making, okay? This is important because this is what we're called to do. First quote, He's, Lloyd-Jones said of the psalmist, this man was not content just to lie down and commiserate with himself. He does something about it. He takes himself in hand. <laughs> he also said of, of this refrain that is repeated three, uh, you know, is repeated twice, three times in, in the psalm. Have you realized... He's talking to the readers now of his book. Have you realized that most of your unhappiness is life? In, sorry, most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself. Take those thoughts that come to you the moment you wake up in the morning. You have not originated them, but they are talking to you. They bring back the problem of yesterday, etc. Somebody is talking. Who is talking to you? He said, yes. Yourself is talking to you. Now this man's treatment here in Psalm 42 was this. Instead of allowing this self to talk to him, this negative, hopeless self, he starts talking to himself, Why art thou cast down, O my soul? I'll finish the quote and then I'll comment on it. Why are, they, why are thou cast down on my soul, he asks. His soul has been depressing, depressing him, crushing him. So he stands up and says, self, listen for a moment. I will speak to you. Now I hope that makes sense, right? <laughs> you know? Uh, the problem is, he says, we listen to ourselves instead of talking to ourselves. And you think, well, what is, what's the difference there? Do you see the difference? 
the listening to ourselves, that's the flesh. That's the lies of the, of, of the devil. That's, you know, the lies of this fallen world, right? The world, the flesh, and the devil. Where's your God? He's forgotten you, you know. Uh, you know, all the temptation lies that come. And he says, instead of listening to that and, and just, you know, spin cycle, repeat cycle that in your mind again and again to where as you grow more and more hopeless, he says, instead, you, you'd make the decision to think on what is true and start talking to yourself the truths of the gospel, the truths of Scripture. And that's what the psalmist here does. Now, notice what the psalmist doesn't say, right? He talks to himself, and, and again, the self-help world would probably say, boy, you know, yeah, tell yourself. What should you say to yourself? I'm, I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and doggone it, people like me, right? You know, or whatever. You know, I can, I can do this. I can, I, I, I. That's not what the psalmist says. No, nor does he, you know, have, you know, another pocket of, of our, our world would just be like, yeah, t- just tell yourself, hey, chill out, man. Everything's going to be okay, you know? No, the psalmist doesn't do any of that. He doesn't say, don't worry, everything's going to be okay. He doesn't say, you got this, you can handle this. We are not to look to ourselves. We're not to speak ourselves up. Rather, we are to look to God and the gospel to the word of God. And that's what he does. He tells himself to hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Hope in God. He's looking to God. Now, what does it mean to hope in God? I really wanted to try to make that clear today. Because that's the whole point of the message, right? Hope in God. Biblical hope is a confident expectation and desire for something good in the future. I think I got that from John Piper, right? If I remember right. Biblical hope is a confident expectation and desire for something good in the future, right? Many of you have probably heard that, right? Hope in the Bible is not like how we use hope. You know, how we use hope, it's like... Yes, I'm expecting, I'm, I'm wanting something that I think will be good in the future, but I don't know that it will happen, right? You know, I hope that we have a, a great school year. I hope that we have a great vacation or whatever it is, right? You're looking to something for, for security, for, for joy, um, and it's something in the future that you think will be good, but you don't know that it's going to happen. Biblical hope is certain. Because it's based on God and his promises. So biblical hope is a confident expectation and desire for something good in the future. This, this verb here, you know, it uses a verb, hope, it, it, it does involve waiting. That's why it's, it's future-oriented. It involves waiting, trusting And it includes the idea of a refuge. Okay, so I'm, I'm trying to paint the picture of what this looks like to hope in God. I'm, I'm looking forward to 
something good in the future, and that good in the future is God. <laughs> and this is not just pie in the sky, you know, dream, you know, dreams. This is based on what he has promised to do and what he has already done. But it is future, and so, I mean, the, the, the ultimate consummation and experience of that in totality is future. So, yes, it involves waiting, and so then it involves trusting. And, but even as I do that, I'm, I'm hoping in him, not only to be with him, but he's, even now as I wait, he is my refuge as I wait. I hope that is clear. <laughs> I hope that is clear. <laughs> not, not confident, on, you know, not, not uh, for certain, but by God's grace that will be clear. That's what it means to hope in God. In the Bible also, and I, I won't take the time to give you all these verses, but hope is often linked to joy and peace. So again, we're, it's a confident expectation of something good in the future, something that will bring me joy, something that will bring me peace. And because I'm confident and trusting that God will bring it about, I'm experiencing already down payments of that joy and peace as I wait for the uh, final payment, for the final fulfillment of that. Now, Let's think about some, some wrong substitutes for hoping in God, right? Again, he's hoping in God. That's what he's charging himself to do. If, and that is linked to joy and peace. But if our hope is in an activity, like if our hope is in other things, it's going to come up short. For example, I just thought of a couple of quick illustrations, kind of general illustrations. You know, we look to other things we, in the future that we expect to get joy and peace from, right? Other good things that we're desiring in the future. If our hope is in an activity with our friends next weekend, then we are expecting and trusting that this activity with our friends will bring us joy and peace, right? We'll get into substitutes later. Actually, I'm, I'll just give you these illustrations to help you to help flesh out what this even looks like better, Okay? So if our hope is in an activity with our friends next weekend, then we are expecting, trusting, anticipating that that activity with our friends is going to bring us joy and peace, right? Oh, boy. I'm hoping in that. If our hope is in our retirement account, then we are expecting, trusting that our retirement account will bring us security, joy, Peace in the future. And see here, we're making our retirement account our refuge. Now again, those are substitutes. We're called to hope in God. The psalmist is exhorting himself to hope in God. He's trusting in God. He is expectant and confident of a good future with God. He's tying his joy and peace even in his present Trials and, and, and difficult circumstances, he's tying his joy and peace to being with God because he knows that in God's presence, he will find true and lasting 
joy, peace, security. And so his expectation and desire is to be with God. That's what he's longing for. I want to be with God. I want, I want to be with God, enjoying God, worshiping God. I know that being with God is what will bring the ultimate joy and peace to my soul. Because that's what I was made for. To be with God. And to enjoy God. That's the gospel. We're brought, we who were far off are brought to God. Now, think of, again, think about the psalmist and his situation. No doubt the psalmist would love for God to do this right now, right? I, I'm expecting this in the future. Could it be in the next two minutes, right? You know? Could you deliver me now, God? From, could you silence these enemies now, right? Uh, defeat them, reestablish your people so that I can worship you now with God's people. And that's an understandable desire. But obviously, he knows, we know, the timing is up to God, right? And that's, again, where faith comes in. That's where trusting God comes in. Trusting his promises. And that, though it doesn't fit our timetable, it doesn't mean they're not going to happen. And the psalmist knows that, and you see that he's confident that one day he will be with God forever. He has a confident expectation and desire of being with God where he will experience perfect joy and perfect peace. And again, why, can the, why is the psalmist confident about this? He's assured that it will happen one day because of God's character and God's word. And you see that mixed in in, in this lament, in this uh, talking to himself, right? Verse 8, he's talking about the steadfast love of God. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love. That's his covenant love. He's trusting in who God is and what God has done, what God has promised. God is loving. God is gracious. God is faithful. God is sovereign. He keeps his promises. God has graciously, the psalmist knows that God has graciously made him an object of God's covenant love. And so he knows that God will be faithful to all his promises. As new covenant believers, loved ones, we have the full revelation of God's plan and promises through Christ. We have all of the gospel truths and promises that, that should just fuel our hoping in God. And so we then should and can hope in God by preaching the gospel to ourselves. So again, as I'm trying to define hope in God, if you just want a, a, a synonym to hoping in God, it's preaching the gospel to yourself. God, the almighty creator and sustainer of the universe, is for me. In his amazing grace, he chose me and gave up his own son to die for me, to save me. He has adopted me into his family. I am his beloved, blood-bought child. Jesus, 
My Lord and Savior died for me and he rose again. He is alive. He has conquered all sin, evil, and even death itself. I am united to him. I am counted righteous in him. One day I'll be raised with him. And Jesus is my... Because he rose again, all authority has been given to him. He sent his spirit. And so now God lives in me by his spirit. And that means God is with me, intimately with me, to help me, to comfort me, to guide me, to give me peace. Again, preaching the truths of who God is, who the triune God is. Lord Jesus, my Lord and Savior, is my sympathetic high priest. He knows what I need in this moment. In that moment of discouragement, in that moment of despair, in that moment of doubt, he knows what you need. He has lived it. And so that means you and I can confidently come to his throne of grace to find help in our time of need. Hebrews 4.16 Again, preaching the gospel truths to yourself as you're looking forward to the, your ultimate salvation, your final salvation. Remember the promises. Jesus is coming again for me. I will be with him forever in a place with no more pain or sin or tears or death. And until then, I know that God loves me. And when I say until then, until Jesus' return, right? Until then, I know that God loves me. And he has promised to never leave me or forsake me. He is my good shepherd. And I can rest in his faithful care and his loving presence. Much more could be said, but that's preaching the gospel to yourself, right? That's preaching the gospel to yourself. Now, here's what I started to say earlier, and I got ahead of myself. Again, the psalmist is hoping in God, but our problem is, our temptation is, is we hope in other things. We, we hope in other things when we look to other things to provide lasting joy, lasting peace, lasting security. And again, all those things fall, fall short, fall flat, right? We hope in our career, thinking it, it provides our identity. It provides our security. It provides our worth. No, those things ultimately are found in God. We hope in our family, looking to our spouse or our kids for our joy, for our identity, for our worth. We hope in our, and again, you know, just naming, uh, I, I know there's many challenges today. We hope in our social media presence, seeking joy and validation by, by receiving likes to our posts and, and getting comments. And we hope in our friends, or we hope in the things of this world. Maybe there I can find joy. Maybe in those people I can find joy and peace. 
Maybe this thing that the world is offering, it looks so enticing. Maybe it will give me the joy and peace that I'm craving. Maybe it will give me the security. Those are all poor substitutes, loved ones. Family, friends, career, by the way, those are not bad things. I'd even say social media is not necessarily a bad thing, right? It can be used for good. Likes and comments can be used for good. Those things are not bad things, but they must not be where we place our hope. That's my point. They must not be where we place our hope. They should not be what we look to for lasting joy, peace, and refuge. Because they cannot provide that, and they were never meant to provide that. God alone can give us true peace. God alone can give us eternal joy. God alone is our unchanging refuge. God alone gives us a certain future. So loved ones, let us place our hope in God alone. Now understand, this is not a one-time decision. Right? It'd be easier if it was. <laughs> right? You know, let's all have a, you know, a come to Jesus moment. Let's place our hope in God, in God alone and now smooth sailing, right? <laughs> no. The psalmist told himself three times to hope in God. I think that's instructive. Right? I mean, this is an ongoing thing, right? He's saying, hope in God. I will praise him, my Savior, my God, my salvation. Oh, but God, it feels like this, and this is what I'm seeing, and this is what I'm experiencing, and this is what I'm hearing. No, hope in God. I will praise yet again, praise him, my salvation. Right? I mean, it's back and forth. That's the struggle of this life, of this fallen world. We will need to daily remind ourselves that our hope is in the Lord. As we face difficulties in spiritual warfare, we will be tempted to doubt and despair. And plus, this fallen world will continually solicit us to place our hope in other things. And we must resist that by God's enabling. By God's grace, we will need to daily exhort ourselves to hope in the Lord, choosing to preach the gospel to ourselves. Choosing to draw near to God. Choosing to rejoice in our certain future with Christ. And again, I know my, my time is probably gone. I'm a, I don't even want to look at the clock. <laughs> um, is this like a new honeymoon stage right now that I'm, I'm back? I don't know. Probably a short one, right? Short honeymoon. Um, but there's so many things that are instructive for us. Again, if hoping in God means that we're... Um, preaching to ourselves the truths and the promises of God, then you see how that ties in with the means of grace. And and that's something that we're going to have to be doing continually, knowing that we're getting bombarded with other messages, other temptations, and we've got to speak truth to ourselves. We've got to be in the Word. We've got to be in the Word. Because that's where the truths come from. We've got to take... You make use of the means of grace. That's what the psalmist is doing. He's talking about, he's praying to God in the psalm, right? He's rehearsing the truths of God that he knows from God's word. He's talking about wanting to praise God corporately, but he's saying, I'm going to praise him privately now. So loved ones, that's my encouragement to us all. Like the psalmist, let us daily exercise the means of grace. 
reading God's word to remind us of God's character and promises, drawing near to God in prayer, bringing our laments in prayer, bringing our needs, bringing our thanksgiving. That's how we can talk to ourselves, remind ourselves of all of God's blessings, listening to good Christian music, singing praises to God. This will glorify God and remind our souls of the truths of God and the gospel. Let us gather together, not neglect it assembling together for corporate worship. Why? Ultimately, so that we may glorify God and so that we are encouraged, so that we hear these truths from the pulpit, from each other, so that we sing and read and pray these truths together, strengthening, rehearsing, strengthening our faith as we rehearse God's character and promises. Hope in God. Why, why was our scripture reading Jesus in the garden? I want you to see, and, and I won't even go deep on this because of time. But just understand that this, uh, this is fulfilled ultimately in Christ. Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane actually applied words from verse 6 of this psalm to his own distressed spirit. He said, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. I mean, he was experiencing sorrow. He was experiencing the waves and the torrent coming over him. But Jesus, in dependence on the Spirit and the Word of God, he trusted in the character of his God. And he said, not my will, but yours be done. So that he could rescue us from our sin. So that he could be our living hope. Praise God. What a Savior. What a Savior. And again, he secured all that for us and it makes him a sympathetic high priest. He has lived it. And he knows what we need. Be encouraged. Yes, we're charging ourselves to do this, but this is not pulling ourselves up by our own bootstraps. This is in dependence on God. Hope is a fruit of the Spirit. And Romans 15, 13, which we'll have as a benediction, but I want to share it now too, says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Left to ourselves, we we wouldn't be able to hope in God. We're too weak. But God will enable us to hope in God. Let's pray. Father, we praise you for these wonderful truths. Please apply them to our lives today for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's stand together. And fuel our hope as we continue to praise our Savior.